Hello and welcome to this podcast from the Generation Gap Show here on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM in St Albans. We hope you enjoy it. Right, hello and welcome to the Generation Gap Show here on uh, Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. And tonight my guest is Amy Radford. Hello Amy. Hey Clive. And we're going to talk about the Eurovision Song Contest because it's coming up this weekend. Isn't that great? I'm looking forward to it. We're both looking forward to it, I think, yes. Okay. Now that's one of the things that's interesting to me because the Eurovision Song Contest has been going for a very, very long time. Um, My um, encyclopedia here tells me that it was, I think, 1956 it started, which is um, a very long time ago, 64 Mm. years. I can't count, 63 years maybe. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, so um, I'll tell you the story because you've, we've had a little discussion beforehand and um, you don't know much about the background to the Eurovision Song Contest. It's quite interesting. I'll give you a quick rundown. Essentially, um, back in the 1950s, television obviously was in existence but it's quite it's quite sort of limited and television was basically one or two channels in various countries and each country had its own broadcasting company like the bbc here of course and the engineers thought they were doing some really clever stuff and they found a system where they basically could connect together the television systems of all the various countries around europe or western europe as it was um, so that they could broadcast the same program and really it was led by news so if there was some big news story i don't know in paris then they could send the pictures over to London and Frankfurt or whatever and that's really what they wanted to do and they achieved that in this sort of 1950s and it's quite a big achievement at the time you know I mean I'm trying not to sort of minimize it obviously nowadays it sounds well of course you can watch television from France why not Um, but it was a quite a big thing then Um, and so they wanted to have some way of actually sort of showing it off the technology they developed so one of the engineers came up with this idea of having a song contest and um, they thought, well, that's a good idea, we'll try and do that. And so the first um, contest was in, i say, 1956, and um, basically it, that makes it now actually the longest-running annual international television contest and one of the world's longest-running television programmes of all time. And also, um, nowadays, because there's so many more countries interested in taking part, would you believe the audience now is up to 600 million internationally because it goes not just around Europe, obviously it goes to Australia, New Zealand, it goes across China and obviously the United States. I don't know what they make of it, Canada. <laughs> Basically the whole world watches it. Um, and it's, so it's quite a big thing and much bigger than I imagine they ever thought of when the first couple of engineers thought, oh, you know, let's do a little song contest. So in the early days it was just what we called Western European countries. Basically, um, you know, sort of France, Germany, Switzerland, uh, Spain, Portugal, whatever. Mm. Um, and then over the years a few more people joined in. And then of course the big change was in, or after 1989, when the communist governments all fell across Eastern Europe. And they had their own um, connection in Eastern Europe with a sort of similar system. So they just plugged that into the Western one. And hey presto, we suddenly had 43 people joining in the Eurovision Song Contest from the early 1990s. And obviously that changed it completely because suddenly we had all these countries most people never heard of. You know, where the hell's Albania? Um, <laughs> and all these countries take part. And I think there's more than 50 countries eligible to be involved, but now they, they don't all take part every year. And also we now have semi-finals and things because they have to get it down to a, a manageable number before we do the final. Otherwise, I suppose it would go on for about 10 hours, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, I'm happy those engineers put it together because it's like one of, the fa- one of my family's favourite things to do every year. And I find this quite interesting because obviously it, it's treated in this country in a sort of 
the, the way we look at it is really sort of it's a bit of a funny thing it's comedy we laugh at the countries which sort of present their own kind of national identity through the songs and this sort of thing and, and funny folk dancing from various countries that kind of stuff and it's really that whole thing was set by sir terry wogan because he was the commentator for something like 30 years and he used to basically make a big joke of it all and everyone joined in and sort of um, found it a funny thing but on most other countries treat it quite seriously, and obviously they want to win, and they do, they do lots of stuff to make it win. Well, the thing is, for like other countries, this is where they're able to... If you're an artist, that is a way for you to get your name out into the world. For If it's like all those countries all around the world, millions of people watching, you can see why they take it seriously, but I think me and my family do take it the Terry Wogan way, and it is like one of the funniest things to watch ever. <laughs> it is. Anyway, I mean, I think... Um, we'll another song which we, obviously we dug out some eurovision songs some of which you probably haven't heard before and i've deliberately dug out one which is a bit obscure but was actually a winner but not a winner for the uk it was a winner for france and this singer france gal then went on to be a big star in france though i don't think she ever really made it anywhere else um and i've, I've actually got a cd of her greatest hits believe it or not <laughs> but our wonderful archive here on the music actually has some of her songs on it this was a song called poupe de cire poupe de son I won't bother translating that, but it's Fonscal. And then you get Jedward coming in a few years oh, ago. Oh, please don't mention Jedward. What, lipstick? That was a tune. Uh, you got to give props to them. They were dancing around on that stage and they weren't com- out of breath completely. Right, well, this is the real generation gap <laughs> is being shown here. I, I'm afraid Jedward just leave me cold. I, I just... Oh. No, no, I can't get it at all. Um, anyway, okay, now one of the things about the Eurovision Song Contest is, of course, that, um, it, as you said, it gives people a big boost because these people go on uh, television, 600 million people see them and think, oh, they're really good, or gosh, they're rubbish. Um, <laughs> but basically, they get the exposure. But it's uh, interesting because um, a couple of years ago, we are here at Radio Verulam and I was involved, we, we went to switch on the Christmas lights in Bulling Garden City. Wasn't that fun? And performing there was a band which was basically a um, Rolling Stones tribute band. And one of the guys there, I recognised and thought, I know you. And I checked with somebody and said, yes, that's him. And he had actually been the singer for the UK um, Eurovision entry the year before. Which, of course, came like 24th or something. Um, but yeah, I thought, how you know, one, one level, he was there up on the stage and uh, singing away to 600 million people performing for the UK. And then the next year, he's doing a very <laughs> a local tribute band. I would have still fangirled. Wait, which do you know which person it was? I'm not going to remember. Oh, okay. But it was, yeah, I mean, it's two years ago, I think we did that. So it's um, probably the year before that. It was okay. it was the, the couple, him and the girl, who basically they were doing, it was like air hostesses. Oh, okay. I know. It was a quite good, quite good song, but it oh. didn't get anywhere at all. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, it was a good song. So obviously there is, um, some people do actually um, go on the Eurovision Song Contest and they're already well-known singers in their own countries. We, we don't yeah. tend to do that here. There's all that speculation. We could say, well, why don't we put, you know, Robbie Williams or sort of Ed Sheeran to sing or Little Mix or something like that? And I don't know the answer to that because the BBC always who choose the songs or arrange the choice of mm. the song, I should say, um, they seem to treat it more like a sort of new songs or new artists um, competition rather than a, a national song contest. Yeah, I suppose it's that if we put a really high up um, artist in there, we might ha- we may have a bigger chance of winning. But if you put like an up and coming artist there, it gives them like that boost, which 
the other artists don't need. Well, no, I agree, I agree yeah. and understand that. It's just that, you know, you think if you actually wanted to win, which is why I always think we don't really want to win necessarily, um, then you would sort of pull out mm. somebody who's well-known across the co- continent already and someone, you know, I mean, if Adele did it, would anybody dare not vote for her? I don't believe we'd win. Even <laughs> with Adele on the stage, people would be like, yeah, 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 and then it'll come to the voting, they'll be like, UK, two points. <laughs> That'd be... Yeah. I'd go for Paloma Faith myself, actually, or, or Ellie Goulding, for example, is very successful across the countries. Yeah, people do like her, or Ed Sheeran. He's, yeah. he's a good one to pick. So over the years, various people, including um, Bucks Fizz, who represented us in 1981, won for us. Oh, one of the times we actually won. <laughs> Save your kisses for me. I don't think we've got that on our computer. I'll, I'll have a look. Um, but obviously, um, Celine Dion, for example, sang for Switzerland in 1988, and she won for Switzerland. Um, even though she's Canadian. Okay. Bit of a uh, cheat, that sounds. Well, well, you are allowed to have people from different countries because the last time we won, it was with Katrina and the Waves, and Katrina's Canadian as well, actually. There's a theme there, isn't it? Choose a Canadian singer. Oh, okay. Hmm. <laughs> um, obviously, there is one band who did win and then went on to greater things, and we hardly need to even mention who we're talking about, but they yep. came from Sweden. Even my generation knows who this is. Well, you can't really fail. They're everywhere, aren't they? Um, And the thing that is, it was 1974, and they actually performed in Brighton because um, we had one the year before with, I think, Lulu singing a song. And so it was in Brighton. uh, Well, it was in the UK, and Mm. Brighton was the place they chose. And um, obviously it was ABBA, and they sang a song called Waterloo, which I will play later, but I'm not going to play that now because what's less known is that the year before, they actually did represent Sweden in 19. 73 and they came i think sixth yeah i didn't know this so you told me and that song they performed on that occasion was called ring ring which is is on some of their album one of their albums i can't remember but it's quite a well-known song by them but it's not known for being a eurovision song 92.6 92.6 FM, Radio Verulam. Yeah, you're on 92.6 FM, and we're talking about Eurovision here on the Generation Gap show. And I'm joined by Amy Radford, who's actually a big fan of Eurovision. I'm interested. Um, the Generation Gap's obviously quite small in terms of that. I mean, I'm a big fan. I don't really admit that, but um, I suppose I am because I watched it for years and years and years and years. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, just uh, it's, we, we all sit down as well and have a special food, things like pizza or something, so we can sit around around the television and watch it. Do you have like a buffet of all the different type of European foods? Well, I've tried that a few times. I quite like doing that, but most of my family's very fussy about what they eat, you see. They oh, don't like that foreign food, you know. Oh. Surely a buffet is like the best option because they can just pick whatever they want. I know. Yeah, well, you're right. Yes. Mm. Oh, let's say we do that. Yes, OK. <laughs> um, anyway, ABBA, an um, unmistakable sound of ABBA there. And that, but that's the song they did in uh, 1973. Didn't win. And so they had to do quite a lot of sort of pleading. Can we come back again next year and try again? And I believe in Sweden there's a Oh, I don't know. We've just shown it doesn't work, you know, this sort of thing. And they came back with another song later, and of course, um, the rest of the world changed after that. Um, so, we're talking about Eurovision songs. Um, I've got a couple more we've, we've dug out, which we quite like. Um, I wanted to uh, just look at about a few other facts and figures. Eurovision is odd in one thing, because there are hundreds of people who've written sort of 
you know, theses for their degrees on Eurovision, various things like this. You know, how do people vote? And this was the thing Terry Wogan always used to go on about, about how people vote for their sort of friendly local countries. So the Scandinavian countries all vote for each other, and then various Balkan countries, which is sort of uh, near to Russia, they all vote for the Russian one, and the Russians vote for them, and this kind of thing. And Greece and Cyprus have a record where every single time forever, they always give each other maximum points, for example. I can't think why. Um, and of course, we're sitting there as the UK, and we don't have very many friends sometimes. Yeah, especially this year, probably well, not the most. Yeah, I mean that may be the case, but I mean also our nearest neighbours who speak the same language as us, largely like um, in Ireland, we always give them lots of votes because we we like their songs. Mm. They don't always return the favour. Yeah, I've noticed that. Uh, but I think Malta's the one that's given us most votes over the years. Um, really? Yeah, because they Malta speak, give out good. They speak English, and they, they're part of the old empire as well. You see, that's why they must um. must have some residual liking for us. Um, so they also, um, I was looking to see the numbers of people who won. Ireland actually has the record for the largest number of times winning. They won the contest seven times, and there was a period when they won, I think, four out of five years running. Um, which, including with the same same person, Johnny Logan won, I think, three times. Whoa. That's so that's a pretty good record, yeah. Surprised Jedward didn't win it. I'm not. <laughs> Sweden is the second biggest winner, funnily enough, with six wins. France and Luxembourg and the United Kingdom have won five, five times each. So we have won five oh. times, but that's over 64 years. Yeah, I I was thinking Sweden. I can't remember all of their people. The only one I can remember is like 2017. There's a guy who did like da- they did the doodle thing behind him on the screen. Oh, okay. I do remember him. It's that I remember last time when they had a guy doing a song called "Dance You Off," and whoever did the choreography for the song, I think, didn't think it through properly. It was one of those. Oh yes. Well, I mean, they do rehearsals. Um, I, I've been told that they started rehearsals at the beginning of May. So, I mean, they've got a whole month of rehearsals. Yeah, that's... Because it's not until next Saturday, obviously, so... Yeah, obviously, I'm looking forward to Saturday. It's going to be amazing. So, on Saturday, we hope that uh, Michael Wright is going to go away with the... What it sort of... It's a... I'm sorry, a statue or something. I can't remember what it is they give them. They do give them a sort of... Um, some sort of award, don't they? Which is a great big elaborate thing with the Eurovision logo on it and whatever. Yeah, it just means, you know, we can have Eurovision in England next year and I can finally fulfil my destiny of attending... That's Ooh, that's interesting ambition. Well, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I'm sure the tickets are probably like Glastonbury when it comes to it. You know, you have to get in there about one second after I, they open up for tickets. <laughs> I will pay that for Eurovision. It's worth it. Well, last time it was in England um, was, I think... Uh, oh, no, actually, it wasn't the last time, but the time most famously, of course, was 1974 when it was in Brighton when ABBA won. Um, and I think having mm-hmm. been there would be something you could live on for the rest of your life, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, yeah. Because we don't have that many enormous halls. We've got a few now. I suppose it would be the O2 or it would be the Manchester GMEX or whatever it's called. Sort of really big halls we've got these days. We didn't have those in those days. There was only the one in Brighton. Yeah, they probably have to do it in London somewhere. Well, I say O2 is probably the most likely, isn't it? Mm. Is it still called the O2? I think they've changed yeah. the name of it. <laughs> it's called the O2, sir. Okay. I remember back in the 1980s, I was actually organising an enormous international conference as part of my job and I had 18 months to do it mm. and I tried to find places I could hold this really big enormous um, thing and there was actually only two places in the country we could do it. One was um, in um, uh, Harrogate in Yorkshire where it's got a great big conference hall and the other one was Brighton and actually I hired the whole seafront at Brighton. I had three or four hotels and a conference centre and all the rest of it because I had a thing with about 2,000 people coming. 
See, that just seems very weird to me nowadays. I wouldn't have thought Brighton would be the place with the venues. It is. Along the seafront there, there's, there's several big hotels that each have got great big um, halls and loads of rooms. I mean, the sort of conference I was doing had lots of sort of breakout places, so you needed rooms for 100 people here and 50 people there and 150 somewhere yeah. else. And it was complicated. Even worse, I can tell you the exact time and year it was, it was on because it was actually October <laughs> 1987. Now, that won't mean anything to you, but you've probably heard about it because that's when the hurricane hit us. The famous hurricane where the BBC weatherman said, oh, someone just phoned me and said there's a hurricane coming. Don't worry, dear, there's no hurricanes coming. And it came and Brighton was actually where it hit land. And we had um, quite a lot of problems. Everything was... We, in the morning, woke up, there's no electricity and um, everything was broken and trees were all over the roads and it was really diabolical. We weren't sure whether, you know, perhaps there'd been a bomb dropped on London or something. I mean, literally, um, it was completely devastated. It was awful. That's and, insane. Uh, the BBC said that um, it was nothing to worry about. Well, the weatherman, that he, he's lived off that for the rest of his life as well because basically, you know, we don't have hurricanes in this country, mm. theoretically, but it was a real one, and um, it flattened all the trees all the way up to Gatwick, and all the airports were shut and so on, of course. It was quite interesting. We had to set up an emergency centre to try and help people get home, because they'd come from all over, I think, about 70 countries. It was quite amazing. Oh, no. Anyway, I don't know how I got into that, but that's, that's my Brighton story. <laughs> Uh, I remember it because my boss had bought a nice brand new car and it was the first time he'd taken it out and he parked it and a big advertising hoarding fell down and smashed his new car. My heart just crushed for him. I don't even know yeah. him, but no, that's crushed for him. There you go. <laughs> These things happen. These things happen. Anyway, we're talking about Eurovision anyway. And we mentioned, obviously, about um, ABBA. And we'll, we'll come back to that. We'll play the song later. Mm. We'll keep you waiting for that one. Um, anyway, we hope all the best for Michael Rice, obviously, this weekend. Hope he's uh, going to do well even if he doesn't win if he gets in the top 20 he'll be doing well for recent recent years won't he i'm rooting for him even if like he doesn't get in the bottom five really for okay. the uk in fairness <laughs> right okay well we'll see We're, fingers crossed and we'll be watching there on saturday now one of the other artists who i mentioned to you um a long time ago actually performed for eurovision is cliff richard now you don't really know much about him because he's a bit old now um but he mm. was actually um he was sort of the british elvis i suppose at the time in the sort of late 50s early 60s and he had a string of hits and i think in total he had about 60 about 60 hits i can't remember that many um but it's an awful lot um because he made songs consistently for um six decades that's well it is pretty impressive isn't it really that was about the um sort of coming of the walkman if you remember you've probably seen history books i'm sure the yeah, sony like walkman was basically um you know playing cassettes and it was the first time you could kind of carry around your music with you in nice stereo and, and listen to it personally Something which people don't do much these days, of course. <laughs> yeah, I used to have, like, the newer version with, like, the CDs and things. But, yeah, now it's just, like, phones and everything, isn't it? Well, that's right. Even the iPod's a bit out of date now. I think they still make them, but I'm not sure many people would buy them anymore because, basically, your phone can store thousands yeah. of songs, yes. It just gives you other things for you to break, really. Especially yeah. in my case, considering the screen's, like, smashed up already. <laughs> Oh dear, yes, I know. Another one of those people with a broken screen on your phone. <laughs> I don't know. You should buy a case, you see. Like, I've got mine in my case. I do have it in a case, but then I just drop it and break it. Right. That's I won't go, into, won't go there. Okay, so um, that's Cliff Richard. And he he um, had a song which should have won the Eurovision Song Contest. Mm. But um, years and years later, I mean, he was pipped to the post by a Spanish um, song, so he came second. Mm. 
And years later, um, it was found out that um, government officials from Spain had allegedly uh, bribed some of the judges to vote for them. And so basically, uh, it looked like it was a bit of a fiddle and he missed out because it was by far the popular. Um, the Spanish song afterwards was released across Europe and Cliff Richard's song, which is Congratulations. You've, mm. you've heard that one because it's every party, every birthday party probably. Um, and uh, that actually went sort of number one in about 20 countries around the continent so he sort of got the last laugh on it um but uh, it was a bit interesting later on uh, that someone found some archives in the spanish somewhere um spanish um, archives somewhere and found that it's been going on you can't believe a government would actually want to bribe people to vote for their song <laughs> in the eurovision song contest however this is apparently what happened <laughs> That's just like one of the funniest things to go down in history, for someone to bribe to win Eurovision. Yeah, that's right. It's amazing, isn't it? But it shows how important it is to some people. Oh, but it is important. It is National prestige at, <laughs> at stake here. So, yeah, okay. <laughs> is there any other artists or years that you think should have won but didn't win? I'm sure there's quite a few. I mean, I think generally, you know, as, as they go through doing the singing... Um, I sit down and think, yeah, I like that one, don't like this one. Mm. And of course, these days, you can go on their website and on their YouTube channel, and they're already, all those songs have been up for weeks already. Yeah. So you could have gone through them all and made your own choice now, which ones you like and don't like. And I generally end up a few days before. I haven't done it yet this year, but I probably will before Saturday. Have a quick listen through to see which ones I particularly like. No, you can't do that. You need to have, like, the massive surprise when you're watching it. And then, like, you judge if you think... When they do, like, the little speech of everyone speaking about the songs and you have, like, first impressions then, then you've got to decide when you're watching it. And they have the, the postcards, don't they, of their, their home country, those things. <laughs> they do, like, their little talks and then, like, walking through fields or something for about five minutes, which doesn't really make much sense but well, you know that the tourist office for each country obviously spends a fortune to make that little sort of two minute <laughs> clip to encourage you to go and visit wherever it is in fairness the one for malta i think it was like when i was eight years old i watched that one since then i have wanted to go to malta just because it looked very pretty i went to malta a few years ago actually after seeing a holiday program which said how nice it was and i thought gosh that looks a nice place and by the way it was it's a very nice place oh okay they yes. didn't lie that's good no no um when I went, it was actually a bit silly going in the middle of the summer. It was about sort of 35 degrees there, which was a bit hot. Ah, OK. Might so want to go. you spent a lot of time sitting around a swimming pool rather than anything <laughs> else. But, hey, why not? Yeah, may as well. It'd yeah. be good. So, OK, well, yes, and, and I think it's one of those things like football. There's lots of people who have learnt the names of countries and the capitals and something about those countries through the Eurovision Song Contest <laughs> and through football matches because they didn't know where various countries were you know like i have relatives in slovenia and i always throw that out because most people say where's that never heard of it <laughs> it's actually a whole real country is between austria and um, um croatia and croatia is another country people didn't know much about because it's a pretty big holiday destination now yeah and eurovision i learned through that and there's like slovakia all those kind slovakia, of that's right yes that's it all they, they're all real places <laughs> but they don't usually get to the finals as much that's what I like about the final of Eurovision, just because there are ra there's like all the main ones, like the main five, and then you get just loads of random ones every year. Yeah, well, the, the main five, you may not know this, we, we actually have a sort of a buy, I think they call it. So we always are in the final because basically um, the, uh, the five countries, which is, if I remember, it's, it's the UK, it's France, Germany, Spain and Italy, I think it is, um, basically put more money in than everybody else towards the contest because we all pay into it every year. And so um, we basically, because of that, we get the uh, 
privilege of our people going through to the final. So our song always goes into the final, but um, doesn't always do terribly well. Yeah, in fairness, I think if we weren't in the final, I probably wouldn't have gotten into Eurovision. It's that when I first started, I was very naive, and I thought, because I watched our performance, and I was like, wow, like we could win this. And when I saw us not win... And I saw how the voting worked. It was only after years that I started realising how it actually works. And they've changed the voting system in recent years, so it's a bit more difficult to um, get through. I mean, it's it's interesting. It's sort of probably fairer, but it's more complicated. You end up with a lot more votes. You know, we've got 700 votes. Fantastic. And you find you're still 23rd. Okay. <laughs> um, looking at artists, um, there's another artist who um, represented uk recently or in recent years which was blue and that was an attempt to take a sort of new trendy band or recently trendy band and mm. um, put them in they didn't do very well at all we're, we're sort of getting towards the end of the program so what we're going to obviously once again say obviously we hope that michael rice does really well on saturday because he's singing for the uk and so it's great great thing for him to do yes. and only 600 million people watching so it won't be no pressure yeah only <laughs> only like all of uk counting on him absolutely not too but bad we'll see anyway so good luck for that and um and then we'll see we'll see how we go this year and next year and every other year it'll go on forever we never know we could be hosting it next year good old michael he well, might he'll do it for you so you can go and try and get a yeah. ticket to get there yeah okay we've said it on here if he wins he's doing it for amy radford that's, absolutely that's his initiative that's a pretty good incentive <laughs> i hope okay so over the years obviously eurovision has been um interesting um, i was just telling you actually just as that song was finishing that um there's a wonderful spoof which was done in sweden three or four years ago um which they they did a sort of um spoof eurovision song which was called love love peace peace and basically they threw in all the elements they had a you know someone on roller skates they had acrobatics they had all sorts of um things like uh, the the finnish band or the heavy rock lot who dressed up as all aliens they had all that sort of thing thrown into it and it was a thing where they did in the intermission between you know when the people had finished singing and when they counting the votes initially and it's really funny and you can look on youtube just look under love love peace peace it's there <laughs> it is hilarious um anyway so i think eurovision it is fun isn't it and i do enjoy it still and i think that may be weird but obviously i share that weirdness with hundreds of millions of other people so yeah, i don't I'm feel terribly guilty yeah including you and you seem quite normal otherwise so, <laughs> <laughs> so we think so we think oh as long as i don't know right it's just like a really nice night to have, I find, Eurovision. Because you get some really good performances. You get some that you're thinking, how is this in the final? And then you just stay up till like 11 o'clock at night trying to find out who wins. And it's also that, it's that thing about the different countries. And they, they do reflect, whether deliberately or not, some sort of prejudices you might have about them you know mm. so the italians have a fantastic sort of baritone male singer who really can do sort of operatic style and then various countries like greece and macedonia i think i'm allowed to call it macedonia it keeps changing its name um, i think it's north macedonia it's called now officially um basically they have sort of folk type um, songs and the turks often do that as well mm. and um, then you know you get the sort of um euro pop type standard stuff coming from various countries and then the uh, scandinavian countries particularly sweden they do these um very heavy sort of uh, justin timberlake type stuff they're into that now there was a couple of years ago the guy did it it's just straight timberlake sort of style and you think well i wonder where he got that from yeah i saw one that was like bruno mars it was a song called cliche i loved that i can't remember which country it was from though but like all joking aside eurovision is good because it means the countries can 
perform and represent their country in whatever way they want, which is really nice. Yeah. Anyway, so that's it really from us. And uh, thank you for being here again, Amy. It's uh, very good doing shows with you. And uh, so we'll... Uh, probably see you again sometime um, i'm still waiting because my usual co-presenters are just out of it till the middle of june radio verulam 92.6 fm welcome back to the sunday playlist i'm amy radford and i'm joined by clive today hey clive hello how are you i'm good you doing all right i'm fine thanks um did you enjoy the eurovision song contest last night i did and we actually want to talk about this don't we i think we do because we did talk about it of course on the generation gap show on thursday evening when we made all sorts of dire predictions yes and you can listen back on radio verulam on our website and what well, i don't think you should do that because i'm not sure our predictions are very good <laughs> but it is a very interesting conversation so you know you can it's a good listen to but who who did you think should win when you watched it all fully Ah, I mean, there's two questions, really. One is, which one did I prefer or did I like best? Which the answer was Norway. It was really good. Spirits in the sky. I'm sure it'll be a big hit here if they release it. I don't know if they will. Um, and um, But I don't know about that we should have won. I didn't really like the one that did win. I have to admit it. It was sort of, a, you know, it was okay, but it was sort of a bit mediocre to me, my mind. Yeah, I thought... I thought the Netherlands, like, they did a good job. But then I thought Michael, our guy, he, like, not in a biased way, I think he did pretty good considering. And it was one of the better songs we've had in recent years, certainly, and he really knocked it out very well, as you say. Um, but somehow he just didn't get any votes. Definitely. He did amazingly well. And, you know, a massive congratulations to Michael. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know who I think should have won, really. I think he should have been up there on the top doing well the person i felt most sorry for was the lady from north macedonia who in the early stages was actually in the lead suddenly and um you know she'd stayed in the lead until the last few votes came in suddenly it went down to about fifth or sixth and it was a really good song a very powerful song she's a very very good singer i must admit she has been a bit wiped from my memory um is she the one who we gave 12 points to um, I can't remember that, but I mean, she wore a sort of green dress. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. A very powerful song about girl power, basically. Yeah, okay, I remember her. She was she was pretty good. There was her and Estonia. Estonia, I remember. I thought I liked him. Oh, he was yes, he was the sort of sing along guy. He was very good, actually. Yes, you're right. I wasn't a fan of the uh, creepy couple of what country was it? Oh, Slovenia. Yeah, I wasn't. Uh, that wasn't amazing for me. No, I, I wonder whether that might sort of win... Because, I mean, last time when the, in Portugal, the singer there was very sort of very subdued and very sort of uh, odd in some ways, and he, he won. And I thought they were perhaps aiming at the same sort of idea. Um, but, I mean, it was a bit weird. She just basically sang staring into his eyes the whole time. All very lovey-dovey and so on, but it, it was bathed in sort of blue light and so yeah, on. It, it looked very weird indeed. You know, you say lovey-dovey, I thought it was just... Just creepy. Yeah, creepy stalker. And he kept looking at her like, please go away. <laughs> <laughs> I believe they are a couple. Yeah, I like <laughs> Graham Norton on his talk over. He was saying, you know, they met on Instagram. So this is a message. Do not meet people on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> well, well. The, the message is that you might go on the Eurovision Song Contest. That wouldn't necessarily be bad, would it? <laughs> that would be amazing, like the 16-year-old who went on there. Yeah, oh, that was Belarus. Yes, she was very good, I thought. Sort of very Taylor Swifty sort of dance routine, whatever. And, you know, very, very good. But obviously, that's not the kind of music that people particularly like that watch that show. Yeah, it's, it is very good. I, 
honestly love Eurovision so much. And I've got Clive still in the studio. We're going to carry on talking about Eurovision. And Clive is still here. He's still in the building. And I'm wondering, for Eurovision, what act do you reckon we should put in that would make us a winner? Well, I think there's always been an argument about this. You say, you know, we don't tend to pick some of our better well-known artists and obviously most of our well-known artists are well-known across Europe across the world I mean talking people like Ed Sheeran or um, Adele or I don't know um, Paloma Faith people like that are all very well known and some of the bands I mean One Direction would have been pretty good wouldn't they um, however there's several arguments people say oh it's sort of not fair you know we're British we'd like to play fair you know we don't put in Adele hmm. um, and say well why not I mean the Russians typically put in one of their top singers every year yeah and you can tell that they all rally around them as well yeah, and, and their singers and also they seem to release their songs earlier because they keep saying like last night you know they were often saying things like oh this song's been a big hit in 10 countries around Europe and you think okay well obviously Michael Rice's song has been released for a few weeks but there's no suggestion it was been a hit here let alone anywhere else yeah, and um, it was Italy, wasn't it? They had, like, thousands upon thousands of streams beforehand. Yes. And so, I mean, uh, I think that it would be worth trying to get... I mean, to be honest, the, the system we've had most recently, uh, it was a very good um, process where thousands of people send in um, songs and there's some, someone, a panel of people who are songwriters and whatever, assess them. And we got down to, I think, six different things. It was a bit odd this time. They had um, three artists and six songs. So they oh, was that the regular round? They, they sang. No, they had two versions. Two different people sang the same song, and the song that Michael ended up with was one which was a good song. But the other song was, I thought, better. But the artists who sang it didn't do such a good job. But nevertheless, it was quite a good process, and you know, like a talent show, to come out with a good, good new song. Um, so I don't know if we could do much better than that. It, it seems to me it would be an idea to try and get some really, really well-known actors, uh, um, songwriter to an actor. <laughs> That'd be interesting. It's about. I mean, the, the prize is actually goes to the songwriter, not the performer. You know, in the Eurovision, it's supposedly. Oh, I didn't know that. It's actually the writer of the song. Of course, it's the artist that collects it for them. Mm. I think it's because it goes back so many years that in those days people didn't buy music on records. You bought music on sheets. Literally, you had the, the music written down, printed off. Mm. Um, anyway, Lots I mean, the point day. is that, you know, it's just a question. If we chose someone, I would suggest Ellie Golding because she's probably the best known across the continent, as far as I know. She's very popular mm. in all sorts of other countries. And if she would do it and uh, write a song or somebody write a song with her, get Ed Sheeran to write the song with her, you know, just stack up the odds a bit and see what happens. I, the thing is, I would be very interested to see if we would win with a big artist. But then the only thing I think is good about Eurovision is that we give people like Michael Ra Michael Rice that platform to be able to get their name out there bigger, which is quite nice. I I mean, yes, but you see, it's not actually a sort of um, a new artist's competition or a new song. Well, it's a new song competition. Um, so, I mean, we, we're sort of not really following the way everybody else does it. They, they tend to choose um, people who are already well-known, often in their countries. And it varies. Sometimes they try new people as well. Um, but otherwise, we just perhaps change the name of our country to Australia or something. Yeah, I th <laughs> that would be pretty interesting. I, I think it would be really good if we put in an artist, you know, like the Russian grannies from a few years ago, or I've forgotten his name, but that man who was on there last night, who did a massive throwback, he did the song like... Da, na, 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 na. Yeah, yeah, I, I think... Well, we've got some interesting sort of performers. I'm sure we could get 
Mr. Marshmallow on or something like that <laughs> to do the, do the performance. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it may be we just aren't very good at doing this. I mean, against that, of course, most British and, of course, American songs uh, play very well across the continent. They, they're, you know, big hits in all those countries. So our music is appreciated, and it's probably because it's in English, and that's why people learn English. I remember friends of mine in Germany said that one of the in- incentives for them to learn English originally was listening to, you know, English pop music, and they wanted to know what it meant. Oh, that's pretty good. Um, that is... Ooh. Well, you know, when they were young, yeah. that was the sort of thing that... I don't want to learn foreign languages, want to learn English. Oh, yes, but then I can understand these these songs. Yeah, because then um, I found it when I went to Germany. People were saying to me, like, we were singing these lyrics to the songs and they went, the only difference is you know what they're saying, but I don't. Mm. I was like, oh, never thought of it like that. Exactly. So, I mean... I think we could rethink it and try different ways of doing things, but I'm not sure it's going to win. I mean, at the end of the day, we haven't got lots of friendly countries or... <laughs> in all honesty, when do we ever win? When do we ever win? Well, thank we, you. We did in the Olympics. We did really well in the Olympics. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was when you were like... It was based on skill. or well, not skill, but you know what I mean. You had to get certain points and things like that. It was like rules. To well, it. yes, yes, exactly. You had to be actually really good athletes, which perhaps we haven't got really good songwriters. I don't know. I think Michael Rice's song, that was pretty good. I know he didn't write it, but... Yeah, no, it was a very good song. I mean, that's, that's the point. You know, we did everything right this time, but it didn't work out, so I don't know the answer. Who knows? Let's hope one day we might be able to celebrate on this show and say that we won Eurovision. It's possible. I mean, I do actually remember the last time, but that was so long ago, you probably weren't even born. <laughs> no, I don't think I was. <laughs> but thank you for coming in, Clive. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's very nice to be here. And definitely, to all of you, go and check out The Generation Gap at 9pm. It is a really good listen. On Thursdays. Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Generation Gap Show here on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you'll listen again to the show. You can subscribe from iTunes, Google Play and, of course, from Radio Verum's own website, radioverulam.com.